You're listening to the Australian Water Association podcast series. My name is Peter Dredge and joining me is Adam Jones. Adam is a principal engineer and the water efficiency lead at BMT, as well as being one of the co-chairs of the Australian Water Association's Water Efficiency Specialist Network. Welcome, Adam. Thanks, Peter. Great to, great to be here. The title of uh, the paper that you're involved in was Drought Adaptability of Large Commercial and Industrial Water Users. So, Adam, tell us the background to this research. Yes. Well, I mean, we've been doing um, non-residential water efficiency work for quite a long time. We've got a little team that does it. Um, but these uh, particular insights have come out of probably maybe over 80, I would say, particular site investigations um, in uh, various regional areas that have been drought affected since probably early 2019. So uh, all kinds of sites across the Greater Sydney, Hunter, uh, New England, Central Tablelands regions um, in particular. Give us an insight into the types of businesses and organizations that you visited. Yeah, well, it's it's a relatively wide range uh, of, uh, you know, large industrial production, um, meat and livestock uh, related sites, uh, some uh, mines, um, some uh, swimming pools, uh, playing fields, retail, shopping centers, hospitals, um, aged care, uh, uh, you know, correctional centers, showgrounds, uh, car washes, all kinds of uh, different um, businesses. You've outlined what are a series of assumptions, I suppose, that you have gone on to debunk largely. Mm. Um, the first one you identify here is the assumption that there is no technical capacity to adapt mm. Um, mm. inside these organizations or, or on these sites. Mm. That's more a perception externally that, um, you know, you can imagine somebody sitting um, in a water utility or a council and thinking, look, I don't want to bother these commercial water users because, I mean, they've they, they had a really good go at this last drought um, and I'm sure, I'm sure they're already, um, you know, doing their very best and don't want to try and get blood from a stone, don't want to kind of mess anything up there. Um, and so there's kind of a, yeah, reticence maybe to, um, or an assumption that they, there's no kind of, you can't go further. Um, um, we don't want to kind of put unreasonable demands on business, which, which I can understand as well. Um, but I think it's probably a, the, the myth I'm debunking there is that uh, there are no improvements that can be made. Um, and we're, yeah, but I guess even to our surprise, um, like we're probably more commonly seeing, I mean, most, but if we talk general numbers, I'm, I'm thinking maybe 20 to 50% opportunities for, for the majority of sites wow. as sort of outliers either side, but, and that's not, that's not kind of fully pushing the boat out on, on cost either. That's mostly sort of options under two to three year payback period on, on just sort of basic water and um, maybe energy in some cases costs. Um, and so there are, yeah, it's, which is quite big numbers, I think. What about that external assumption that there is no drive to adapt inside these organizations? Yeah, that, that's an interesting dynamic. I'm not sure if I'm, I mean, it's more of a social question in some ways, but something that we've yeah. noticed is that especially the large water users often cop a lot of flack, I think, for the community, especially when water supply becomes a concern. There's that attitude of, look, I'm, what's the point in me doing my bit when those guys down the road are using squillions of times more than me? Um, you know, that's, you know that's the, they're the problem uh, and uh, they don't care, you know, they're, they're owned overseas or, you know, they're owned interstate. And so what... Um, 
what could they possibly care about this community? Um, and so that's something that we had the opportunity to kind of work with the individuals in these organisations. And so that was um, enlightening for me, at least, that um, the individuals in these organisations are you know, part of the community and they, uh, yeah. their friends and their family live there and they're extremely invested in um, the viability of the and the growth and the prosperity of the region. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you want to, if you're a, you're working at a plant and you want to make sure that there's, um, you know, investment from your organization in that, in that town, in that plant. And you want to, like, you want to kind of, you want to grow it. And so, uh, in general, the bias against these organizations seemed unfounded in, in the people we were engaging with. We saw people who were, um, very keen to make any kind of change and improvements that they can, um, the uh, the dynamic. I don't know if there is a complicated dynamic in terms of to get funding to do things. You do need to work within your kind of company systems. And I think for most commercial mm -hmm. businesses, you've got to um, you've got to sort of demonstrate a business case which has a return on investment and some level of certainty um, around it. And so I think that's more that's more the challenge. It's um, what we observe for these organisations is that you can't just because um, the community goes into drought, suddenly pull the trigger on all these, you know, suddenly expensive options just, just to do it. Um, that's not, that's not how it works. It still needs to fit within that kind of commercial, um, sort of bandwidth. And I think that's, that's probably a, a key observation that's, um, in terms of connecting the ex expectations, um, of the community and these organizations that that's a key kind of a key opportunity, I think, to cross that gap. If um if people realise that uh, like in in your home if you're uh if you go into drought then you can you know shorten your showers and stop your irrigation and um try and be sort of you know reuse your your laundry water you can do all sorts of little things upgrade your washing machine all that kind of stuff uh, you can kind of make mm. a big impact by changing your behaviour um whereas uh like a large production plant for a, or a hospital or they're, they're less immediately agile to simply just using less water um. Uh, instead, they'd need to kind of invest in a project to get that happening, and they'd still need to justify that spend. Um, so there's kind of there's a a different dynamic there, um, but the willingness is, I would actually say is quite high. Which leads on to the point you make about these large commercial and industrial sites actually craving uh, useful support. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So if you can imagine that dynamic that I I believe I've observed where the um, Individuals are quite motivated um, to improve as much as they can, um, and they just have to work within their natural kind of commercial context. There's a huge opportunity to provide support. Um, I mean, from a from a technical perspective, um, I mentioned before that the organisations just don't have necessarily um, the expertise or the the funds or the the time to kind of necessarily look under every rock, um, especially when it comes mm. to water, which is not their most expensive uh, bill, I suppose. So, I mean, so that, that can be a real benefit when looking at what opportunities are out there. If you, if you, and that's often what we're doing, going in with a blank slate and people are saying, look, is there anything here? I don't think there is. I think we've done what we can. Um, but can we have a set of fresh eyes to see if that's really the case or if there's anything kind of hiding there? That's an obvious kind of gap that can be external support. And I think, I think one of the reasons that it's almost more effective externally, um, as an external support or external funding is because um, you can imagine if you're the, the manager for a site um, trying to get approval for for some capital um, to bring somebody in to have a look around and see if there's anything to be found when you 
can't think that there is, the answer is probably going to come back from the upper levels saying, well, no, look, look yourself. And, you know, if there's, I mean, you can't have the money unless you, you, you know, you think that you've fixed everything yourself. So it's a kind of a complicated dynamic. Whereas if uh, someone, you know, comes in with, uh, you know, external funding or government funding and says, look, um, it's great if you're doing great already, that's great. Um, but we're just having a look to see what else is there. And suddenly they find a few, a handful of things that could make a real big dent. Um, it's, a, it's a whole different kind of conversation. So that's that's one way where, um, and that's, I mean, that's a lot of what we do anyway, but I think that's mm. something that hasn't happened um, in some regions very much at all. Sort of, it's been more of a focus in kind of larger urban areas, larger water t- utilities that have kind of, you know, different budget arrangements and that kind of thing. Um, uh, and also, I mean, there's an interesting question then around um, where do you go from there? If so, say so you've, you've You've found that there is significant potential uh, at a site. Um, how how do you turn that into a, a step change in their water use? How do you lock that in? Um, uh, and so there's kind of a whole other um, kind of set of honestly barriers and hurdles I've, I've observed. And uh, we're we're less. I'm probably less of an expert in following everything through. We're kind of more experts in the identification um, and. Uh, but it's it is true that just because you find um, great option that's uh, you know pay itself off in six weeks doesn't necessarily mean that they can snap your fingers and make it happen. There's uh, um, yeah I mentioned before there's you know things like business cases and there's kind of internal stakeholder um, issues and concerns and all that kind of thing. Uh, and so one of the things that I'd imagine and this is kind of me speculating it's probably you know it's, it, maybe it's a policy thing, but um, uh, I might be speaking out of turn, but I, I'd imagine that um, having some on you know, access to ongoing technical support, but also something like the right kind of incentive. Um, one of the things that I think is interesting about a, a financial incentive for implementation is um, actually just bumping it up the priority list. Um, if you if you have a if you have like a limited time only, um, you know, way of incentivizing an option, um, then it kind of turns people's attention to it. I think I think it's probably helpful to imagine that um, these sites are being run by, in general, by people who have got uh, probably, you know, 50 things on their plate at any one time. They, they can only kind of get to 20 of them. Uh, and so, honestly, there's a lot mm-hmm. of ideas that are probably sitting there and waiting. Um, and if, if it's, it, there's an interest, I guess, more broadly for the community and for the region in... Um, locking in lower levels of water use then maybe an incentive that just kind of bumps that up the the urgency list um could actually be all that's needed it's a speculative speculative idea but (laughs) i was interested to see that you know you talk about the risk of this sort of overarching adversarial relationship existing Mm. between Mm. you know outside um bodies and and the individual Mm. organizations and it sort of leads you to think that these relationships and initiatives and discussions need to be had away from the risk of enforced restrictions, right? We need to do it in the downtime and the good times <laughs> to to actually embed some of this, right? I think you're dead right because I, I you can imagine. I mean, you can imagine the empathy from a from a business's point of view if they've never heard they've never heard from you until all of a sudden the dam levels are low. Probably on some level terrified that you dig if if you. I mean, for a lot of these organisations, if you demand a 20% reduction, for example. That, that's a really crude method that I know has been used 
say in the past, a 10% or a 20% reduction um, without kind of understanding how the business works and how the business uses water, then it's, um, it, you could really could essentially shut the place down for some of these organizations. They run kind of on a quite a finely tuned system. The, the, the opposite to that is if, um, as you say, if you're engaging with these businesses uh, anyway and building that relationship um, and providing what I think is um, genuine support to their operations, um, then it could be quite a, quite a productive win-win in my opinion. Yeah, engaging kind of proactively would be one of those um, one of those tips. What's your main takeout? You know, how would you summarize mm. um, your findings for perhaps those people that 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 held those misconceptions? I mean, I think yeah, I guess my key message would be um, that from what we're seeing, there appears to be a real significant opportunity um, in the uh, non-residential water user space to embed some very large reductions in water use. You know, I, I say numbers like sort of 20 to 50% being really common and I can forgive people for being wary of that. Intuitively, it's the sort of thing which seems too too good to be true. Um, but it is what, what we're seeing um, and with quite a good return on investment. Yeah, so the numbers are out there and I think that's really exciting in terms of um, what that could mean for, for water supplies in many of these areas, being able to um, measurably lock in these quite significant step changes in water demands what that also could help mean for local businesses in terms of, um, you know, improving their bottom line. I think it's a really exciting opportunity. Um, but I, I would also kind of want to underline that it's a different, slightly different way of thinking than um, maybe traditional approaches to water efficiency, which might be looking at kind of leakage reduction or supply augmentation or various residential kind of rebate programs or market marketing to sort of behavior change in the home all of those things are, are good don't get me wrong i'm not advocating against them at all but i think uh it's it's a slightly different mindset looking at the non-residential sector you have to sort of be willing to engage much more specifically i think on a site-by-site basis and, and not necessarily know the numbers you're going to get before you go in but what we're seeing is the numbers are definitely there if you're, if you're willing to, to take that punt I've been speaking with Adam Jones. Adam is a principal engineer and the water efficiency lead at BMT, as well as being one of the co-chairs of the Australian Water Association's Water Efficiency Specialist Network. Thanks for your time, Adam. Thanks, Peter. Much appreciated.